Today we're together with Keith Prather. Keith is the managing director of Armada Corporation Intelligence. Um, he has been 18 years their primary strategist, very much focused with uh, primarily Fortune 500 companies, but all kinds of companies. As an analyst, um, he's into business intelligence as well as counterintelligence, strategic planning and uh, M&A strategies. Uh, Keith uh, actively spends much of his time on industry assessments across manufacturing, uh, agriculture, transportation, retail, defense, and all kinds of other industries. Um, a well-rounded uh, economist, we might suggest. Uh, Keith is the chief editor of the Black Owl Report. Uh, it's an executive intelligence uh, briefing that he distributes to um, executives, uh, particularly in the industry that we like, we call that transportation. Um, Keith, you, you get involved in so many uh, different areas of business. So one of the first things we think about um, are the economic trends that we need to be looking at as transportation uh, experts. And so why don't you uh, kind of begin by just laying out what you see as uh, industry trends uh, for transportation professionals. Hey, Denny, uh, great to talk to you again. Uh, you know, starting at just the broadest perspective, which I, I love to look at real GDP, right? So it's just the biggest, broadest economic metric that we have. And there's, there's an interesting thing happening with GDP because we really thought we would get back to 2019 levels of national output by sometime in the Q, Q3, Q4 timeframe. We were looking at October, uh, maybe November, before that really started to kick back in and we would get back to those pre-pandemic trends. Um, but you know, because of stimulus, because of the, the rapid reopening of the United States, um, kind of activity we're seeing in consumer spending and just a willingness to go out and, and get back and become part of the economy again, we're now projected to hit those levels either this month or maybe by May. Um, now we have we have injected a tremendous amount of money into the economy. We can argue that that's largely why we're hitting it soon, uh, which brings up a lot of questions about what happens a little bit later when maybe the sugar high starts to wear off a little bit. But um, but business activity is really starting to gain momentum, and you know we're now starting to see a lot of comparisons where we have segments of the economy that are outperforming uh, where we were in 2019 even. And so, um, yeah, so, um, so that part of the, the economy is actually doing very, very well, the broadest spectrum. And it really drives transportation and freight demand. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about specific segments more in a few minutes, but, um, but overall doing very, very well, at least at the moment. Well, uh, discretionary uh, spending uh, was very focused on products uh, because we weren't out. So it was, what can we do inside uh, that was making a big difference? Um, so is it that that is just more robust than we thought it was going to be even now? Or uh, does the entertainment industry, the getting out, uh, eating out, uh, is that being impacted? Are we seeing those sectors in the markets uh, growing even at the 2019 rate? You know, it's, it's fascinating because there was a big debate, and I think you and I talked about it even last time we got together last quarter, 
uh, about what would happen when we hit this, what we call the inversion point, which is what you were referring to. Um, you're right. Uh, when the pandemic hit, all of us were staying home, but the one thing that we continued to do is we continued to buy products. So we were refurbishing our homes. We were buying new entertainment equipment and new computers and those things that would help us work from home. But at the same time, we were bored. And so, you know, we, we, we consumed products because we couldn't go out and about. We couldn't participate in entertainment. Um, and so the fear was that once we hit this inflection point where the economy starts to reopen and we can go back to services level of spending, there was a fear that product consumption would stop. So looking at the most recent retail data that we had in March and big chunks of the economy were fully open in March, we saw spending in restaurants and uh, bars and even hotel, um, you know, utilization and, uh, you know, hotel capacity starting to tighten up. So we, so we saw that part of the economy really start to open up, but at the same time, we saw home improvement retail sales and uh, sporting goods and some of those sectors that we thought would drop off were absolutely booming in March uh, and, and February. And so we're feeling like maybe this, this spending, this consumption right now, again, it could be stimulus driven, but right now product consumption is still super robust at the same time we're starting to see the services sector open. And then uh, you and I talked a little bit offline, but as the services sector opens, there's whole segments of the transportation economy that have been stagnant for a little over a year to start to come back to life. And that's going to be a fun conversation when we figure out what that looks like. Well, and it, it brings up the issue, um, of course, of transportation requires getting it from here to there. In order to do that, uh, the various modes of transportation are engaged and enacted. Um, we still have issues with driver shortage. Uh, we, we made some exceptions in the uh, hours of service for uh, those drivers that were carrying materials which were considered essential. And uh, my understanding is, is that some drivers have made a real heyday of being able to be on the road a bit longer than uh, we thought they should be in terms of the old law, but because of where we are um, in the pandemic, we really needed them to be on the road and we didn't have enough of them. Um, and so do, do you see that change? Where, where are we in terms of drivers, driver shortages, uh, the, um, the schools, uh, driver schools opening up again? Uh, where do we stand there? Yeah, so, um, so exactly right. Uh, driver shortages, you know, were a chronic problem and there were a couple factors. Uh, driving schools were, uh, you know, shut down during the pandemic and it took them a long time to open back up. And then even when they did, because of social distancing rules, uh, they really couldn't handle the capacity that they could prior to the pandemic. The other thing is that it has, it has been difficult to get new entrants into the marketplace to, to think about a new career when, you know, we've got unemployment benefits that are pretty lucrative right now. And so it's a little bit tough to sometimes pay an employee enough to get them to come out of a nice unemployment situation and get back on the road and start working again, right? Uh, that, that's a different aside. Um, you know, but right now we do start, we're starting to see capacity come back into the market and capacity in, in terms of drivers. Um, you know, looking at the latest like that trend lines data, you can see about a 30% increase in capacity between February and March. And, and part of that was because we had such a drop in capacity in February because of poor weather. So, so a lot of those workers came back into the fold. But at the same time, we do have 
a lot of folks that were afraid of the pandemic, really afraid of getting sick. Um, and they were really at home on for medical reasons. Um, now they're getting the vaccine, they're feeling more confident. And so they're reentering the workforce and coming back. And so we do see some of that. We do also see some folks that thought retirement was a great idea and took retirement sometime in 2020 and thought that it was going to be great to sit at home and do nothing and, you know, enjoy, enjoy the, you know, the spoils of their labor, uh, you know, and they've decided that they're just absolutely bored to death. And so they're coming back to work. And so we do see some drivers reentering the market that, uh, that, that were thinking retirement was a good idea. Um, and so we've got a combination of factors where we do have capacity coming back in, but it's not coming back in fast enough to dislodge the, uh, you know, the capacity demand imbalances that we have. And so we still have those imbalances and those are going to continue uh, throughout the rest of the year. I would just throw one more thing in, and that is that the biggest competitor for CDL drivers is the construction sector. And right now we're seeing, you know, we saw a nice surge in residential construction. Uh, we're going to start nearly, we're on track to, to to build more than 1.7 million new homes, which is, you know, like a decade high uh, level of new homes. And so you've got CDL drivers that are kind of jumping off the road and, and going into those, those construction occupations where they can be, you know, soccer moms and dads and home nights and weekends. And um, it creates a lot of competition in trucking. So, um, so all those factors combined, we still have a very difficult capacity environment in the market. Well, we do, and, and certainly um, there are other sectors of transportation and uh, distribution and logistics uh, that are screaming for employees. And so I think you're right. Um, uh, pay, paying people not to work uh, in a way uh, has been part of the problem. Um, do you see them getting back into the workforce? people that have been on the sidelines, do you see them getting back into the workforce? If they don't have to go get a CDL, are they going to uh, get back into the warehousing and distribution markets? Well, sometime by September, they, don't, they won't have a choice. By September, they're gonna have to when those benefits run out. So, so we do have a deadline. We can, we can put a, you know, a dot on the calendar and we know at least when this is gonna end. Um, but there are, it depends on the occupation. A lot of higher skilled occupations where uh, employees don't have the ability to job jump as much. Um, uh, those jobs, they, send, they tend to be coming back much quicker. If you're a minimum wage employee, um, you know, we, have, we have stories uh, out of the last stimulus where uh, warehouse workers, uh, I know one particular warehouse operator in, in particular on the West Coast, that the minute the stimulus was passed and those $1,400 checks were hitting consumers, uh, they lost you know, 25 to 50 people walked off the job. And essentially, you know, what they were saying was, hey, I'll be back and I'll be back when this $1,400 runs out. There is a there is a level of income where it is so easy to go out and find a 10 to $12 an hour job. And you can do it across any number of industries. You don't require a lot of training, a lot of education. They're not necessarily skilled workers. And so they have a lot of flexibility. And that's where we see the greatest um, shortages of jobs or, or, or workers at the moment. And that's the category of worker that is going to be the most difficult to, to bring back into the workforce. So if I'm looking for a truck driver or a train engineer or a pilot, they're not really impacted as much or they're not swayed as much by the ability to stay home with that flexibility. Um, but if I'm looking for a, an hourly wage dock worker or uh, someone who's entry level, 
Um, that's where some of that pressure is. We just got the latest job opening data and, and Denny, we have 7.4 million jobs open in the United States. 7.4 million. In the last unemployment report, we only have 9 million that are considered to be unemployed. Um, so we're getting to that point where we've got a very significant challenge in the marketplace and trying to find employees that are willing to, to come back on the job and take those entry level jobs. Well, and when it comes to transportation and particularly trucking, um, these sprinter drivers, um, uh, you get a little bit better than the dock worker in terms of wage, perhaps, but not quite the level at CDL. So it is a nice area to be able to jump into um, if you've got a, a, a driver's license. Um, you can get onto or into um, a work environment quite quickly. Uh, and those seem to be very good jobs. Absolutely. Yeah. And it looks like they're going to be steady. So it looks like the e-commerce trend is probably here to stay. And so, uh, yeah, so the Amazons of the world are going to continue to hire. And then, as you said, I think there's lots of opportunities for, uh, you know, workers who are willing to go drive a Sprinter van, uh, whether they're working for a company or whether they're taking an entrepreneurial route and, you know, kind of starting up their own little uh, transportation firm. So, so it's good news on both fronts, uh, at least from that perspective. And, and yeah, that part of the industry is going to do a lot of hiring and uh, we're going to see a lot of new entrants into the sector because they do have that flexibility and don't have to have the extensive training. So one of the big things uh, that we just covered was where, where the workers are in our industry. Uh, but there are some international trends, trade trends, uh, some concerns about what's going on in the global market so that when we think about uh, what is going on in the Middle East, uh, Russia is a concern that the um, new administration has been talking about. China's uh, a concern that uh, the former administration was talking about, although that seems to now be hitting back on Washington again. Um, there's um, all of those international moves and how that impacts trade agreements. Uh, what do you see going on there? Where are we in terms of international trade? Yeah, you know, we've, we've seen some recent surveys conducted of um, corporations who are doing a lot of trade, especially with China. And um, what's interesting is that even prior to all of the geopolitical pressure and tension that was there, we still saw up to 25% of those doing trade in China thinking about completely um, changing their sourcing strategies. And yeah, 25% is a big number. Um, you know, a percentage of those, we're still going to look at maybe alternative sourcing in Asia. Um, a larger percentage, we're thinking about USMCA markets, so Canada, US, Mexico. And then uh, a percentage, we're also thinking about reshoring back into the United States and bringing manufacturing back. Uh, we know that the Biden administration, there was a little bit of uncertainty coming into the new administration, whether they were going to continue the, the Trump administration policies when it comes to China and, and dealing with China. And it looks like uh, we're going to get much of the same. So it looks like the Biden administration is going to continue a, a tough China policy. If, and it may even ratchet up. It may even get tougher. Mm -hmm. um, China has been a little more aggressive with Taiwan. And, and so we've got a lot of issues down in the South China Sea that could ratchet those tensions up. Uh, but at the same time, just, the, just what the pandemic taught us about some of our supply chain bottlenecks and what we've got to do to be able to create supply chain continuity, you know, that's going to be the biggest drivers of, I think, 
changing sourcing strategies around the world. So the administration's already pushing forward with changes to, you know, where we source microchips and, you know, microchip uh, uh, insecurity, if you will, uh, because of what we're seeing right now in the automotive sector. But you've also got everything across pharmaceuticals, the defense sector, uh, raw, earth, raw earth materials. You know, um, the administration wants to move to more of a green future. And in order to do that, we've got to be able to secure the material that we need to produce batteries. So you've got a number of industries that are going to be not forced by legislation, but encouraged by legislation to try and find a way to reshore back to the U.S. Absolutely. Um, it is interesting because now CEOs are going to the their supply chain executives and uh, asking flat out, what's the cost of a broken supply chain? Um, Absolutely. Yes. One, one of the items that you mentioned was uh, USMCA, um, uh, the question about Mexico and how we're doing in Mexico and, and what the future is going to bring to Mexico uh, with all of the issues on the border that have transpired really since January. Uh, the invitation, if you will, of uh, people to come to this country for cheap labor, if, if that's what the invitation is. Uh, I think it it uh, goes under a veil of other uh, political uh, areas and activity. But um, the question becomes, what is happening with uh, uh, our activity south of the border? And um, can we get back to good um, border relationships that will really enhance the North American um, uh, competitiveness? Yeah, and there's a lot in that question. So <laughs> I'll do my best to make this short and succinct here. Yeah, so a couple of things. So number one, Mexico really, really has struggled with the pandemic. Uh, Mexico has right now the third worst uh, death rate in the, in the developed world, if you will. And so Mexico has not had a handle on the pandemic, so it's been very difficult for executives, even through like an administration change or even after USMCA, to go down and just, you know, do something as simple as survey uh, a potential partner that they would do business with. Uh, it's been very difficult to do that kind of travel. And so that has really hampered the growth of the Mexican economy and then the growth of just USMCA markets. Uh, Mexico last month had the world's lowest among developed countries or developing countries, world's lowest manufacturing PMI. So manufacturing output uh, shows that the Mexican economy is still in deep contraction. And it's largely because of the pandemic. We just, a lot of people just can't get down there to do business and try and get goods flowing. Uh, Mexican manufacturers have got the same supply chain bottlenecks that we're experiencing in the United States. So they can't get raw materials in, they can't get employees to show up at work. And so output is just very challenging for them right now. So, so that's part of it. That's part of why it's been so slow to develop. The other thing is that the, the AMLO administration, to be honest, has had a little more of a, um, not to be political about it, but a little more of a socialist approach. And so um, some industries that had been very open to foreign direct investment have now come a under a little tighter lock and key um, some industries have even been nationalized where you've had foreign investors in those markets. And so it just has created a, an, an air of uncertainty. And that, you know, that's, as we all know, investors, business executives, the one thing they hate is uncertainty. And so, um, you know, working around that has been a real challenge. And that's why we haven't seen trade explode between the two countries more than it has. Um, now on the worker side, 
there are many, as we said earlier, there's about 7.4 million jobs in the United States that are open. And some of those are jobs that we, we frankly can't get um, a U.S. citizen to take. Um, berry picking jobs at, you know, because of legislation, they can pay below minimum wage, uh, you know, wages. And so it's very difficult to get workers from the United States actually to take those positions. Um, you go try to buy a, like a Bing cherry or uh, certain types of berries in a grocery store today, you, you can't find them. Um, very, very short, right? Uh, there's a shortage of those products. And so uh, part of the challenge is getting workers in. And, and because of the challenges that we've had on the border, it's been difficult to process the right individuals who are here to really fill those jobs. And then those who are fleeing, you know, some of the uh, challenges in South America and and simply, you know, moving through Mexico to the U.S. just to try and find safe haven. So um, it's, a, it's a very challenging situation. I know, um, I know the Trump administration dealt with it. I know the Biden administration now is, you know, confronting it as a, as a major issue. And um, it's, it's very challenging. I mean, we need, we need immigrant labor, but it needs to be the right legal kind of immigrant labor. And um, so anyway, we'll see where it goes, but. One of the things that uh, um, we may want a, um, a quick look at is uh, we have a new transportation secretary and uh, um, he has put forth a, um, a bill with a lot of money in it, which uh, is said to be for infrastructure. It looks as though infrastructure as we have known it is a very small portion of that bill. Uh, how do you see what they're doing in Washington? Yeah, not not to make fun of it, but I but I listened to the president the other day, and it sounds like anything that is a product we can hold in our hand is infrastructure today. So uh, I and I'm literally reacting to the fact that I, I think he held up a wafer or a disc and said this is infrastructure. So um, yeah, historically in transportation, you know, we've always thought about infrastructure as being those uh, key assets and resources that the transportation sector rides on top of, and so. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, and extending that to the electric grid and, and, and those other components. But yeah, it just seems like this bill is becoming a catch-all for anything that we want to do that uh, is, is, is spending that might otherwise be difficult to get. And so don't mean that in such a bad way. I mean, the country does need to make some progress in some key areas. It's just that um, it seems like a smaller percentage of it is going to be allocated to fix what we know are chronic problems with uh, highway infrastructure and bridges, um, you know, areas where we know from a transportation perspective, we've really got to make some improvements in. Uh, um, I think you're right. <laughs> let's, let's leave it. Actually, um, there's an awful lot of things that look very good, very positive for U.S., U.S. manufacturing, uh, and because uh, transportation seems to be 8 to 14 percent of all manufactured products. It gets involved in all retail sales. Um, I would say overall, uh, with the pandemic going away, us being able to manage it, things are looking pretty good. Uh, would you be investing in our marketplace? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, manufacturing, a lot of trucking firms can tie anywhere from 85 to 90% of their daily shipment counts to uh, some of the data we see moving in the manufacturing sector. And so, uh, especially industrial production for manufacturing. And yeah, because of that, you know, right now we're seeing at least the whole industrial production complex kind of locked and loaded and ready for, uh, you know, what's coming. 
And, um, you know, right now, without some of the supply chain bottlenecks, we would see output for most manufacturers probably anywhere from 20 to 30% higher than they are today, just by, just by listening to CEOs and, and looking at some of the data. So we know that if we can get the supply chain back on track, that all of that output, all of that capacity comes back into the marketplace, um, you know, gets moved by truck, by rail, by air, uh, by ship. So we're going to see a lot of activity, I think, come right back into the market as soon as those manufacturing sectors really honestly start to take back off. Most, most estimates, we saw probably 3 to 4% decrease in 2020 in the manufacturing sector, industrial production. We're probably going to grow close to 7 to 8% this year. And um, yeah, so it's going to be, it should be very strong. Um, historically, when we look over like the last 10 years, if we continue on these trends, we're probably going to exceed some of those 10 year levels. And so um, again, great news for transportation all the way across the board. It looks like retail sales are going to continue to be strong. Um, inbound freight, uh, you know, when we take a look at container inbound forecasts, we're probably going to eclipse 2 million containers a month, probably through September, uh, which would be record highs. And we've never seen it that robust. So you're talking about every mode of transportation, seeing what should be a really good balance of the year. Well, Keith, um, one of the things that we talked about uh, a quarter ago uh, on our last uh, uh, foray um, is that um, I was really only looking for positive economic re report. And I think that you've, uh, um, you've done exactly what you're supposed to do. You certainly have told us what it's really like, but um, we have a lot of things to be thankful for in terms of our business and our industry and looking forward and recognizing uh, that we really do play an essential role in how our country, how our government, how our businesses work together um, to have a, a real flow of positive engagement in the marketplaces that we serve. Any wrap-up uh, thoughts before we go? I'm just going to say a couple things on the supply chain is that you're exactly right. This pandemic has really put a focus on how much, how important the supply chain is and continuity in the supply chain, but more importantly, how far we need to take it, how much we need to invest in it and where it needs to go. Uh, the pandemic, by most estimates, um, expedited and moved up uh, future trends by about five years. So, so if we were projecting something to be happening in robotics and automation and um, you know, just the automation of supply chain. If we were forecasting that by 2030, we now need to move those forecasts up because we think it's going to hit by 2025. And the investments, you know, are enormous right now, corporate investments in automating as many aspects of the supply chain as it possibly can. And so I think we're in for some really fantastic um, improvements, advances, changes between now and next year. And um, it's just the the spending is going to be robust and it should continue. And so to your point, I think the focus on the supply chain is the, the right thing. And I think the future looks bright. Well, um, Keith Prather, uh, managing director, Armada corporate intelligence. You've done it well for the traffic club one more time. So thank <laughs> you, sir. Thank you for the relationship that we have with your company. Um, this really is a benefit to our members um, one of the things that we really enjoy is that 
key executives in our industry can tune into the Traffic Club of Chicago's uh, podcast and see the real value that their industry and their marketplace is playing in a world that has uh, had some uh, rough spots, some ripples, but comes through again and again. And uh, your um, display of information for us is most appreciated. Keith, thank you for what you do for us. And thank you for what you're doing in terms of monitoring the industry so that we can all get a better handle on where we're going in the future. Thanks much. Well, thank you, Denny, and thanks to the uh, Traffic Club for everything that it does.